Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Steve Sippa and Aaron York. Gentlemen, it is, as we record this, the evening of April 20th, so in that spirit, if you were in the state of Colorado or Washington, what Met would you like to legally imbibe cannabis products with? Steve, you want to go first? Sure, sure. Um, it's a toss-up for me. I think one possibility would be David Wright because, you know, on the exterior, he's a very calm, composed guy. So the I'm police sure. officer's son. <laughs> if, if you uh, let him let loose, I'm sure he's a crazy party animal. Uh, the other one would be Henry Mejia because he just seems like a chill guy to hang out with. and He has some time on his hands. Yeah. And he doesn't really care what he's putting in his body anyway. So. And they don't test for that because he's on the 40, man. Yeah. <laughs> so either or. Aaron. Darno, Darno sounds like, seems like a bro, so... He's a Southern California dude. Yeah. I can see that. Probably him. I mean, assuming Dickie doesn't count since he's not on the team anymore. Dickie seems like the college professor you get high with in college. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, the guy like from... Like the cool Apple. professor, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so probably Darno or Harvey. I, Harvey would make the most, would make everyone else jealous. That would make the most people jealous. You'd be like, yo, me and Harvey, we were having fun in Colorado. So, either Darno, Harvey, DeGrom would be too cliche, I feel like. What, the Northern Florida guy? Yeah. Uh, I do want to, I do want to, a little disclaimer here before I give my answer that of course Amazing Avenue Audio Amazing Avenue SB Nation and Box Media in no way advocates uh, the illegal consumption of cannabis products or the abuse thereof legally or illegally of, of course, course of course of course of course um, I'm very happy that neither of you picked Lucas Duda because he always seems to be the answer to this question but I can I can't imagine being him being more like sort of Lucas Duda y than he is now. That's a good point. So I don't know if the, the pot would exacerbate that or if it would take him wildly in another direction or He'd become like some sort of mad genius. Hmm. But I am going with Kirk Newenheis. I feel like that is a man that you could have some fun times with. I like Kirk. I was going to say I was going to sort of do like a crazy reversal here and set it all up like it was going to be a 420 question and then ask which Met would you like to travel back in time with to kill Hitler? <laughs> I'd pick the same people. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was worried it would just sort of like devolve into me uh, comparing Mets players and managers past and present to Doctor Who characters. Is what that would end up happening. That might be its own podcast. Yeah, and really the only answer you really come up with is Kai Gronauer, since he's German and speaks German. <laughs> like anybody else, I feel like you just run into trouble immediately. <laughs> I don't know if Kai Gronauer is still with the organization. He's probably somewhere. I mean, there's a spot opened up in Vegas. I can see him popping up there. That's what's, what seems to happen. That kind of podcast conversation would probably bring up Moberg, and any yeah. conversation that brings up Moberg is okay in my book. I think we would have to be stoned in order to have that conversation, too, <laughs> so it works on two levels. 
This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 114. Um, I confirmed this twice. I found two separate sources to confirm the Mets had the best record in the National League. So I'm going on air with it. That's crazy. Sources familiar with the organization's one-loss record. They're 10-3. and three. But because it's the Mets, and we're Mets fans, and we can't have nice things, we're not going to start with that. We're going to start with the two major injuries that happened as the Mets were becoming 10-3. and three. Uh, To all you baseballs out there, please stop hitting Mets players. Travis Darno will be out a few weeks with a broken fifth metatarsal. That's pinky for you non-injury experts at home. Andre Blevins will miss a couple months or so with a fracture in his pitching forearm. Hansel Robles and Kevin Ploiecki have been called up from Vegas to take their spots on the roster, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We will talk about the Mets being good. Maybe. Maybe. And then we'll answer your emails. So it's a jam-packed show. I actually, this is, a lot of this is my fault, because I joked on sort of the podcast thread last week, and then we'd have nothing to talk about, because I don't know what to talk about when the Mets are good. But uh, that the, the agenda took care of itself very quickly. So we will start with the two injuries I outlined a minute or two ago. No real surprises here. Um, The Mets made the right move. They brought up Kevin Ploiecki to be their full-time catcher or something thereabouts starting this week with the series in Atlanta to take Darno's spot. Hopefully it'll only be a month or so. I mean, as of yesterday, when I was sort of writing the Kevin Plucky primer for the site, it looked like it might be a little bit longer than that. But regardless, Kevin Plucky is the man. So how are our feelings about this, gentlemen? It's good that they hung on to him during the winter. They're they're, they're talking like he was completely untouchable, which I don't think was necessarily true. He can't have been completely untouchable just... Because of Darno, because he was uh, maybe you know it's considered the top five of their prospects, and considering he was part of every single trade rumor brought up by experts, brought up by people who were just speculating. You know, Plowecki was a part of any package that was going for Tulowitzki. That was part of any package that was rumored to be going to any other player, and now it turns out they really need this guy. So. Like, uh, well, prospect hoarding in the long run it, it paid off it, it's paying off in this case so uh, no regrets there and and hopefully he'll continue hitting in, in the majors for now I mean the idea that they kept him because Travis Darno is injury prone I mean they kept him because they have no catching depth behind Travis Darno um, Travis Darno has just had a series of unfortunate events happen to him over the last couple of years. I mean, I only had a back issue, I think, back when he was in, in the Toronto system in AA, but really since then it's just been a series of freak incidents, the latest which, latest of which getting hit on the hand with a pitch. Um, yeah, last year was a foul ball off the toe. Yeah, yeah. foul ball. Yep. I mean, it's possible so it's he's just like, like Mr. Glass, but... Yeah, it's, it's not soft tissue stuff, it's just he keeps getting hit by baseballs. I mean, which, when you're a catcher, is a thing that can happen. Yeah. So neither I don't think either of them came while he was catching. They both came while he was at the plate. 
Right. So also, pitchers the... should stop hitting Mets players in the hand. Yes. That would be nice. Um, so I think Ploiecki is fine for, for sort of holding down the fort in the interim. He was the best option because there's no anything behind Ploiecki. I, mean, I really think the second best catching prospect in the system is Ali Sanchez, who's I think still 17 <laughs> years old. He might be 18. He'll probably come stateside this year for the Complex League team or Kingsport. So it, it uh, yeah, it's it is good that they kept Ploiecki just because you know normal catcher attrition. I don't want to put too much stock in Darno being injury prone specifically, but even normal catcher attrition, you know, he's, he's going to miss three weeks. That's the thing that happens. And you'd rather have Kevin Ploiecki there than Anthony Recker. I will say, and I wrote a little bit about this in, in the piece. I think he'll hit. Uh, I think, I think the bat will play. I think the bat is certainly major league ready. I'm people. And this is something I started to notice this past off season, especially compared to years past, the, uh, People are really buying into the glove more than at least what I've seen over the last three years, and even even what people were writing in the 2013 offseason. I do think, and it depends. I mean, do you guys buy into sort of the Travis Darno defensive renaissance? It's been two weeks, but. I mean, he's been noticeably better, I think, behind the dish than he was last year, especially with the throwing runners out, but it's really too small a sample, I think, to really say that he's made strides that can be permanent. Because you could have another two-week stretcher, he looks terrible, and then you're back to square one. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the hashtag framing's still been there. There are many pass ball issues. He's looked better mechanically throwing. He always, he's always had a strong arm. It's just a matter of sort of the the transfer and the trigger, which is an issue that uh, Ploiecki struggles as well as. It does not have as strong an arm as Darno does, but, you know, in three weeks, is the book going to get out on him? I mean, people have advanced scouts. There's reports out there, certainly. Uh... And we'll see what the first week or two of games bring if teams are gonna are gonna test his arm early. But I don't. It's this isn't sort of a, a right to Campbell downgrade unless you think Darno was on the verge of breaking out, which he very well might have been. It's it's it sucks for Darno because he's looked really good at the plate the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. He's been raking. Um, yeah, the arms looked or his throwing has looked better. And I mean, the framing is probably always going to be the most, the best part of his defensive game. But he's looked like a great all-around player for two weeks, and that's awesome because he's one of the make-or-break guys that you said. Well, if they're going to have some offense this season and turn into a playoff team, this is one guy that has to really pick up his game or continue where he left off last year, and that's what was happening. So it stinks. And the Mets are now down two fairly big players in that lineup with Wright still probably out for a couple more weeks and Darno out for a month or so. And I do think Ploiecki will hit, but in sort of that, like, Ploiecki will be an averageish major league hitter. You know, maybe five or ten points one way or five or ten points the other way. He's a tough guy to project because he doesn't, he's not going to walk a ton. He's not going to mash so he's just sort of how many line drives does he hit how many balls find holes for a few weeks so you're projecting trying to project you know three weeks of batting average which is a mess it's like doing the same thing with Eric Campbell basically almost anything could happen but he's certainly the best option and I think uh I think that they'll be okay going forward but you know this lineup can only take as good as the pitching's been and the pitching has been excellent the lineup can only take so many more downgrades before you're just sort of looking at it and like you know, Wilmer Flores is batting third or something. 
Listen, as long as we don't go back to the late 2010 Mets with those kinds of lineups after injuries, I'm fine. Still not as bad as John Mayberry batting third. I was fine with John Mayberry batting. I'm, I'm joking. Clean, clean I was, up against I the lefty. Jo- I was based on the reaction. Yeah, against the lefty, it actually makes sense. Um, I was just joking because everyone freaked out. When I can never tell anymore. I've just being on Mets Twitter for as long as I have been now. I've just th- those sort of like sensors in my brain have been completely fried. <laughs> I can't tell why. Like the sarcasm meter is just gone. That's why I barely follow anybody. We actually do. We actually do have a question about the uh, lineup later in the show, so we can definitely talk more about that then. Uh, I do want to, you know, pour one out for Jerry Blevins, who now, uh, you know, I, it sounds like he'll be back in a couple months, maybe. You know, I think like broken, fractured forearm on the pitching hand, pitching for on the pitching arm sounds like a, you're going to miss the whole year, right? That's like crazy, but it does sound like he'll be back in a couple months, which is. On one level, great. On another level, disappointing because I wanted him to have sort of like the minimum five innings pitched ERA title for the Mets. I think snapping off CJ Nitkowski. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why they traded for two lefties, right? Yeah, I guess it's. And uh, I know Torres's uh, Torres's splits are kind of wonky. Like it was like Jack one year Brothers of it six. being wonky. What? It was 2014 was wonky. 2013 was more. Yeah, it was 2013. He was like yeah. he was dominant. Yeah. So I um, think they'll be. Uh, you know, they'll figure it out. Whatever. Yeah, and small sample size. He did get a really big out against Christian Yelich. I think everyone's getting outs against Christian Yelich right now. Though. That's part of the reason the Marlins are three and ten. <laughs> um, so Hansel Robles got the call over, I guess, Jack Lisich and Dario Alvarez since they had to make a 40 man move. To add Ploiecki. Steve, you wrote a little bit about Hansel Robles on the site. Are you a little surprised they didn't go for one of the... <laughs> I was going to say true loogies, but then all the Amazing Avenue minor league commenters would yell at Uh-oh. me for calling Jack Leathersitch a, uh, a loogie because of his reverse split, which is well known among Amazing Avenue uh, prospect post commenters. I could understand him not wanting to bring up Leathersitch because he's just himself and his walk rate is just terrible. He's been good this um, year. I just said he, he has basically about like a five inning sample size. He hasn't walked anyone yet. Right. Well, well, the, the, we'll see. But I was a little surprised that they didn't call up Alvarez because I mean they called him up last year. His numbers last year were decent uh, at the minor league level, but they saw fit to you know bring him up to begin with. So, but I, I think you know Rubbles has been hot in Binghamton. He's been very good since they moved him to the pen. Yeah, I mean. It, it looks legit, so let's give him a, you know, he's a guy that, if need be, you know, he's not the, you know, he, he's not a type of player that profiles that as someone you have to hold on to, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if you bring him up and he stumbles, then you can drop him. And, we are talking about the seventh you know. man in the pen, or maybe the sixth man in the pen, I don't know how they feel about Eric Goodell. They're not using Eric Goodell, so... Exactly. So it's an experiment. See how he does, and if he does good, fine. And if he doesn't, oh well, you can move on. It's not the, the end of the world. And the organization obviously likes him a lot, since they added him to the 40-man coming out of Brooklyn. He's always been sort of one of uh, De Podesta's guys, so I wasn't too surprised that they picked him out of sort of the guys already on the 40. I Look, he's... 
Of course, I saw him twice last year. I saw him as a starter both times, and he looked just like a guy that was going to move to the pen in the second half of the year, which he did. And then the fastball ticked up. The slider comes and goes, but when it's there, it's a it's an average pitch, and it comes from a if you're a right-handed pitch, a right-handed hitter, a very uncomfortable arm slot. Uh, he's got a bit of a crossfire thing going on from a low arm slot, so you can bring him in as a and use him as a rookie because that's something you want to do. He's touched 98, I guess, at times. He'll probably sit more mid 90s as a reliever. Big guy, just you know, you, yeah, you throw him out there and you see what happens. If it doesn't work for three weeks, and Jack Leathersitch is still shoving at Vegas, then you pick the next guy up. Low risk and decent reward, so. So now we get to the question of the episode. The Mets are ten and three. The best record in the National League. Guys, is this team good? My sister just asked me that because she's a, you know, she's a fairly casual fan, but she just texted me randomly today, like the Mets are ten and three. Are they actually good, or is this just a tease? And I said, we don't know yet. Stay tuned. We did this same show last year when they were fifteen and eleven, <laughs> coming out of Minnesota. And I think they immediately got swept in Colorado that week after doing the show. Apparently there was also a long win streak in April of either 2010 or 2011. So they, you know, April win streaks, they're pretty random. I mean, they haven't hit hit that much. I don't want to say hit. As of last week, they hadn't hit at all. Now we can qualify it as they haven't hit that much. Um, There are a lot of players... Well, Wright was hitting the ball well. Darno was hitting the ball well. Duda only has one home run, but he's hitting the ball really well. I mean, they're... Whatever, we can look at base runs. We can look at Pythagorean record. It's 13 games, so... That stuff hasn't even come close to becoming meaningful. And, you know, look, those wins are banked. They're seven games over 500. If they play 500 baseball the rest of the way, or thereabouts, you know, they're an 80 five-win team. That's uh, got some potential in a very bad National League and a very bad National League East. So it basically just needs to bank two more wins and we're in the playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) That is one way of looking at it. (laughs) Dave Cameron wrote about this at Fangraphs and as loath as I am to compliment something Dave Cameron wrote, I think he sort of made some good points is that, you know, I had someone on the Twitter, I was, you know, blasting the Phillies and the Marlins on Twitter as I want to do. And they, oh, the Mets have I don't know if this team's good, but they have thirty more games against the Phillies and the Marlins. And I assume some Marlins fan ended up in my in my ads being like, Oh no, they're getting Jose Fernandez and Henderson Alvarez back and yada 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 and I'm like, Yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> Unless you thought the Marlins were seven games better than the Mets at the start of the season, they've got a problem. Those games have happened now. And that's really what it comes down to. It's we saw this with the Orioles a couple of years ago. The longer they can keep... Even this is a complete charade. The longer they can keep it up, the more it doesn't matter if they're a 82-win true talent team. Yep. Yeah. No, the point is the games count. Four wins against the Marlins is is a really awesome advantage to have. So, And the Marlins are also... They're also getting someone else back that that person on Twitter didn't account for. They're getting bad D. Gordon back. <laughs> yeah, that's going mm. to happen at some point. Where has he been? <laughs> he wore, I mean, he's Playing like a superstar. 
So the Mets and the team right now are hitting 251, 326, 365, which when you account for City Field and the offensive environment is just about league average. I feel like they can maintain that. I think I said sort of towards the end of the of spring training, you'd expect them, they were like a 90-weighted runs created plus team last year. you expect them to be a little better this year. Just around league average, which was their pitching staff, at least the starting pitching as it looks so far, that's sustainable-ish. Not to the seven, you know, the... Jeez, what even is that? I can look this up. I can do basic math, right? 10 out of 13? What? They don't give me win percentage? Crap. Yeah, 10 out of 13 is too it's like a, It's me. like a 77... 770 winning percentage. They're not going to keep that up. Mm. It's like 120 wins, probably. Which is more than 120 wins. It's a lot of... It would be... They're on a, they are on a major league record pace for wins right now. Hashtag on pace. That's not going to keep up. No matter how many times they play, you know, the NLEs teams and the Yankees, which is a lot. At least in the next, you know, three weeks or so. But, you know, Jacob Here's the thing. They might have two top ten pitchers in baseball. That papers over a lot of faults. Yeah. It does. Harvey's strikeout to walk ratio is ridiculous, even though he's although the one game he gave up a lot of home runs, the other game he just gave up a bunch of singles. So. Yeah. And he was pitching with like strep throat or whatever. Yeah, he's been very good. And DeGrom's been uh hashtag DeGrominance. He hasn't been giving up much at all. And look, Bartolo Colon's gonna come back to Earth a little bit, but I mean he's just basically being Bartolo Colon. Yeah, he's gonna have some. He's gonna have a couple more starts where he was like in the first game of the season, where his two seam fastball is a lot of movement and he's striking people out. And he's gonna have a couple more like his recent start where he's getting hit around a bit. But that's how he was last year. He's it's the same durable guy who's gonna have some really good games. I think the important thing is the rest of the NL East kind of looks like dog shit. Atlanta's been surprisingly good. It'll be interesting to see the rematch with them. They just took two out of three in Toronto. They obviously took two out of three from the Mets. So, well, they're they're also probably wondering how long they can keep that up. Although their expectations were much lower, they were like Mets' expectations of the past five years. Yeah. So and the important thing is thirty more games with the Phillies and Marlins. Oh, so now the Mar now the Marlins are the terrible team. Uh, well, I think we have to touch on this briefly. The rumor that came out last night <laughs> that the Marlins are considering firing Mike Redman and replacing him with Wally Backman. Yeah, where did Wally? How did Wally Backman become linked with them? Was that just? I have no idea. That? I mean, the Miami Herald, it, it, I assume, is a reputable newspaper. Yeah, but it's like this one. I mean, well, they said they like fiery managers. Yeah. And and he's the poster boy. <laughs> it's true. And it's not like I was just thinking that he didn't get like any off-season interviews him for a bench coach job, but the Miami job seemed fairly stable, so why would Miami interview him in the off-season? Yeah, the, the Redman rumor was really surprising. I mean, I thought they like him. I think, you know, he is he is a fiery guy. He was, a, he was uh, played for them. He was, you know, backup catcher. Catchers make good managers. The team has outperformed. They were supposed to go into the tank after they traded everyone's Toronto and they were kind of back on their feet thanks to Jose Fernandez and some other 
really nice moves. They were back on their feet uh, sooner than expected. So, I, I mean, unless they keep on like this, which oh, their pitching staff looks shaky right now, that would still surprise me. They have a pretty good offense, and I don't think the pitchers that are filling in are all that terrible. Matt Latos should turn it around, so... I don't know, Matt Latos. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I know, but it didn't. It, it looked. It looked bad. I know. I but. I picked him up in fantasy. It was a very, you know, grueling decision, and I did a lot of research. And I'm very afraid of Matt Latos, and I don't think that he's going to uh, turn it around. He's going to be better than he actually has been, but I don't think he's going to be particularly good. He may soon have more time to spend with his cat, Cat Latos. Yes, of course, Cat Latos. <laughs> There, who's the player on the internet I saw today? It was Duffy who has a really fat cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. What? Tre- Tre- Trevor Bauer has three cats, apparently. Oh, yeah, I heard about it. He really likes cats, too, yeah. Duffy plays, like, Call of Duty with his cat or whatever. Yep, yep, the cat's his strategic advisor. Baseball players are weird, man. But I'm not writing off the Marlins as a terrible No, I don't, I, I don't think they're terrible, but they're 3-10 and 10 right now. I don't think yeah. they're seven games better than the Mets, so. Yeah. And this sounds like, I guess Ken Rosenthal was tweeting out this morning that this is like, Jeffrey Luria wants to make this move, and his like new GM and president don't want to make this move, So, and he likes his new GM and president. I remember there was like just a reaction shot of him during the Mets-Marlins series after the Mets hit a home run or something, with him just like, he had just like an astounded look on his face, like, what happened? We're losing? I'm like, have you watched your team the last few years at all? Probably not. No, probably not. But I have no sympathy for the uh, for the Marlins. No. After the Mets Marlins games, I've been put through over the last few years. There were like multiple games in the Mets Marlins series that they totally would have lost to in two thousand like thirteen, even last year. Well, they fell behind in how many of those games? They were definitely behind on Thursday, a couple times. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was at that game and it was no good. But it's like, it, 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 if, if it's a stupid thing, but if you're going to buy into I'm like almost kind of leaning towards buying into the 2015 Mets solely because they won those Mets-Marlins games they would have like lost in 13 innings last year. <laughs> yeah. If they flip a few of those around, suddenly they're like at least in the wild card hunt, if nothing else. Yeah, their offense has been really timely. Like you get a Flores three-run home run to tie the game. They seem to be the last few games they scored just enough to win um but you know timely offense is maybe the same as good offense it's just they seem to be scoring exactly when they need to which is although that's what teams end up doing in win streaks so right they've had you know they're a league average offense by win probability added they're fourth in baseball so they're getting hits when they need to get hits you want to drill down even further their sort of clutch score, which is, you know, what they're they are third in baseball, so they're getting, as you said, timely hits. Now, is that going to keep up? Is that sustainable? I don't know. You know, the two other teams you would suggest are sort of overperforming their talent level right now, like the Rockies and the Braves, also score very highly there. So did the Diamondbacks, who are over five hundred. <laughs> So, you know, going forward, 
are they going to sort of just be a league average offense as opposed to a league average offense that's playing up because of when they're being a better than league average offense? Yes, but nobody on this podcast, and I hope listening to this podcast, expects them to keep up, you know, the 770 winning percentage pace for <laughs> the rest of the season. Although that would be awesome. Yeah, they're probably going to have to rely more on the pitching staff going forward. They're probably not going to be able to survive uh, kind of a six run, you know, six on the end since six consecutive runs by the Marlins, like they did on Sunday. Um, they might not be able to survive a defensive miscue, like Daniel Murphy throwing a foot wide of the plate, allowing Ichiro to score. It was so bad. Yeah. It, like the six I, minute, the six minute review kind of like wiped that out, but it was just an awful throw. Yep. It was the perfect storm. It, there's like an A ball play. There were like three or four things wrong that happened in the space of like five seconds. <laughs> Ichiro starts retreating and then Right, yeah. If Ichiro just kept running, up. he would have been safe. Like with right. no question. Easily. He could have, yeah. But they have you know, they have Atlanta, the Yankees and the Nationals coming up, and then I don't know, we'll figure it out from there, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the second series with the Nationals because they're starting to get healthier they got span back uh their pitching is still really good although zimmerman i think has struggled a little bit but if the mets can beat them again i think then we're going to start saying hey are the nationals the best team in the division still but we'll wait for that to happen before they we probably, have that discussion. probably are yeah. the way we are now it still looks like the nationals are going to eventually beat out the mets but that second series, I think the Mets win, it'll start raising some more eyebrows. And it's cool just to see like a packed city field for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, all, it's a awesome. loud, packed city field. Yeah, it's a great atmosphere, which we haven't seen because their downfall kind of coincided with them moving into that building. Mm-hmm. When I went on Thursday night, it was a cold afternoon. Dylan G was pitching. There was entire sections that were empty. Entire sections, one guy sitting around. And then I watched the games on Saturday and Sunday. Nice afternoon, warm. You got DeGrom going. You got Harvey going. Completely packed. It was like night and day. Well, yeah, getaway days and like Tuesday yeah. night games. They're not going to draw in April. They're just not. No. You know, the kids are in school, whatever else. It's I don't care. I don't care where you are. And I don't really worry about attendance. But I'm going to try to get down there early. I was going to try to go for the DeGrom gnome day, but... You and everyone else, I'm sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> they, they're really there. pushing that gnome. Well, there was a thing. It was some game last week at home where you could just see the head of the DeGrom gnome yeah, like peeking yeah. over the uh, behind home plate, little tunnel there, taking you uh, taking you out out of the stadium. And they eventually took it away because it was just creepy. It was just staring directly at the center field camera because <laughs> of the angle. It was just like the disembodied head of the DeGrom gnome. I'm a little disappointed it didn't stay around. Unfortunately, it did not. I don't know. I'm buying into this team, and it's bad. It's not good for my mental health going forward, I feel like. I don't know. I mean, the Mets are very apt to just lose 10 in a row just because they're the Mets and they can. And yeah. we'll be well, willing to cut our wrists. Everyone's injured. <laughs> everyone is injured, which is a problem. Um, I mean, as you sort of said, I guess... Catcher was one of the 
if you're gonna look at positions they could absorb an injury outside of maybe second base catcher was the the best spot to do that which is funny because i'm pretty sure the second baseman is still actually injured based on the way he's been running and and not so much hitting but just based on the way he's been running and moving and i guess shortstop because who knows if their shortstop is actually any good but you know they've lost they lost right which was a big blow you know, Darno, they'll be able to handle it for three weeks with Ploiecki. I'm not particularly worried about that. He's about as major league ready as it comes. And I don't know, it's just, you know, if, if we, they're doing the podcast next week and they take two of three from the Braves and two of three from the Yankees and they're 14 and five, you know, you got to start being like, oh, that's, that's an eighth of a season. That's not insignificant. <laughs> I don't know. I like. I wish. It's funny because we are, all our emails this week, or at least the majority of them, are about sort of like the the minor league side of things. I feel like when the Mets are really good, no one has anyone anything to complain about, so they ask about minor league stuff. And when they're really bad, no one wants to bother to complain, so they just ask about minor league stuff. And it's sort of like in the in between zone, like last spring and summer, where we get most of the complaints about the actual major league team. For the last couple of years, that's really been the silver lining of the organization has been the minor league, so it's where you go to turn to. I suppose we should get to those emails. And before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 114. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app as well. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. My co-hosts this week are Steve Sippa and Aaron York. You can find them on Twitter, at Steve Sippa. And Aaron, what's your Twitter handle? And I remember. APY5000. At APY5000. Yeah. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And speaking of minor league questions, our first email is from David. Dear Jeff and Co., given the abundance of news at the major league level, it's easy to ignore the minor leagues so early in the season. Michael Conforto is off to a pretty eye-popping start. Any thoughts about when he might get a promotion? How much longer does he need to produce like this before he passes Nimmo in your rankings? Also, any thoughts about Champ Stewart's improved eye this April? Or am I simply succumbing here to small sample size theater? Best David. P.S. A thought for the podcast. If you want to keep your dogs quieter during the podcast, you might remove their collars before hitting record. I do kind of like the dogs, though, so I'm not sure you want to do this. I'm too lazy to do that, and the dogs are in the bedroom. So, no dogs this week. Um, so, here's the general rule for Mets prospects in A-ball. They're going to spend a full half season wherever they are. And then if they're mashing, they get a promotion after the All-Star break. At the end of the first half, which don't always coincide. Um, 
I mean, they roughly coincide usually, but you know, June 20th or thereabouts. If they were going to break that for anyone, it's going to be Michael Conforto, who really could have started the year in Double A. Yeah, I was surprised that they sent him to Florida to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Based on the fact they started him in Brooklyn last year, I thought it was unlikely he'd start in Binghamton this year. But, I mean, it's very clear he's too good for that level. You know, even the sort of the little looks you got at him in spring, he looked like a guy that was ready for the upper minors. And, you know, I saw him in Brooklyn last year, and I was not overly impressed. And I kind of broke my own rule, and I read too much into Brooklyn, you know, for a guy that had a full college season. And there's, there's a lot that goes on. You know, after you're drafted and then thrown into into short season ball or wherever. So, you know, if a guy is popping up or the swing looks a little long. You know, Kevin Ploiecki, we talked about earlier in the show, looks like that in Brooklyn. You know, he's popping up. Penn League fastballs had trouble squaring. These guys are learning how to be professional baseball players for a couple months. Um, so I probably, like with Ploiecki, docked and afforded a little bit more than I should have for his for what I saw in a couple games in the Penn League. Um, I mean, there were other things that sort of been in his profile that could, that are that are warning signs for me, but, you know, watching the spring training games and looking at the small sample size results in, in St. Louis, the dude's a player. You know, he's going to be a, a, a decent major leaguer, if not more, and quickly. Uh, and if, again, if they're going to break any, 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 they're sort of, hard and fast rule on this for anybody it's going to be Conforto because it's just you know what do you want to do you got to keep him there for I mean he's not going to get promoted this week but another three weeks from now a month from now Memorial Day if he's still hitting like this at that point it's like you, you, you're not learning anything new he's certainly not learning anything new double A was always going to be the test for him anyway so just send him there and see what happens um Look, I mean, if he gets to double A and Nemo's still there and he's still there, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go up and see them probably the end of May anyway. I'm seeing them this weekend in New Hampshire, but and then you just you evaluate what you see. Um, you know, there's not. I think I had Nemo four and Conforto eight on my ranking, but that's not really you know quantitatively that much of a gap. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll see. There's sort of the rumblings that, oh, Nimmo might, that Conforto might get to the, the majors faster than Nimmo, which is certainly possible. Um, but how much longer does he need to produce like this? You know, when I see them both at the same level, I'll make a judgment call if that happens. Or if I see them, you know, I see Nimmo in April and Conforto in June or whatever, then you sort of, I'm not a big guy on midseason lists, but you're always sort of looking for things. And a year is a long time for a 22-year-old. He was drafted to get to the majors quickly. That's what everyone was talking about when they met, picked him out of college in the first round, was that maybe his upside isn't so tremendous because his, he's not going to be a terrific defensive player, but he's can, he's a power bat, and he's going to get to the majors. and maybe. I would, not be, I would not be shocked if he's the first uh, position player to the, major out of that, to the majors out of that class. Yeah, I think that was always on the table, too. Champ Stewart's eye isn't that great. I mean, he took a... This might have come in... No, it didn't come It came in after he took the, 
the Golden Sombrero a few days ago. Um, and yeah, the strikeout to walk rate is better, but he's still striking out in a third of his plate appearances. I mean, he's walking in a little under a fifth of his plate appearances, which is weird. And look, I like Champ Stewart. I like Champ Stewart a lot. I think Champ Stewart will probably play in the majors. Um, but I mean, the dude's raw for a guy that was basically a college junior when he was drafted. He came out of the Bahamas and played for Brevard College, and I know the the uh, sort of the area guys in North Carolina in that area loved him to death and were you know lobbying him for him to go earlier than even actually he did for a lot of teams. But you know the swing's still a bit of a mess. Backside collapses a lot. You can read my report on him in Mason Avenue that covers sort of a lot of the a lot of the good and the bad. He doesn't have to hit much because he's a potential plus center fielder. That's a you know almost an elite level runner. I mean, for his career, he's just under a full season worth of games. He's stolen forty seven out of fifty four bases. And the guy can run, and he knows how to use his speed both in the outfield and on the base pass. So if he hits, you know, two forty, you can find a role for that guy. Uh, but it's ten games in St. Lucie. So let's not go crazy. Yeah, he sounds interesting. I am not a huge prospect guy, so I didn't know much about Champ Stewart, but I looked at his statistical history so far, and his stolen base percentage is really impressive. And, yeah, if he can be a really good defensive player who steals bases, there's always value for that. And if he doesn't hit, then there's value for that on the bench somewhere. But um, when was he? What round was he picking? He's a sixth-round pick in 2013. Oh, okay. So that's pretty high. Okay. Yeah, he sounds like a really in- intriguing athlete. He is, and he's got mm-hmm. – um, it's not like, you know, the, the the whole, like, 80 run thing is not – the Mets spit out really great runners over the last few years because every organization does. You know, they had Jonathan Clark – you know, Alonzo Harris. Alonzo. You guys that were maybe not, well, certainly in the same class as Champ. I know a lot of people have written him up as 80 runners. I, you know, whatever. I'm at the mercy of whatever my stopwatch says. And he was more of a 70 runner for me. That's really splitting hairs. You know, he knows how to use his speed very well. So it doesn't really matter if he's a 70 runner or an 80 runner. But it's not just a, you know, an 80 run. You know, Alonzo Harris was a, it, you know, in the same kind of class as a runner as Stewart, and he played left field. Stewart's a projects as a good center fielder. It's not just pure speed. His roots have improved. He's got a very good arm, certainly a plus arm. You know, total package of a plus center fielder there, which makes a difference because I think to compare him to another, uh, compare him to Matt Nendecker, for example, um, I think he projects as a better defender than Dendecker does. He's got some work to get there, but he's a better arm than Dendecker. He's faster than Dendecker. He's got to get his reps in and improve his roots even beyond where, where they are now, but he's he's got game-changing speed. So if he hits even a little bit, you know, that's a guy you find a role for. That Maybe with Dendecker it's a little bit more difficult. 
know, he's got to do it in double A. That's going to be the real test, I think. You know, he's on pace for a a second half promotion. Sort of in that group of guys that'll get promoted out of St. Lucie. But uh, yes, you are probably succumbing to sample size, uh, small sample size theater a little bit, David. That's okay. It's ten games in. We don't have a ton to talk about other than that. It's like the only data we have. So. <laughs> Our next email is from Michael. Hello, hosts. What's the deal with Terry Collins and his use of Harvey? First, we heard he was going to miss the first week, as well as starts here and there in an effort to preserve his innings. Then it was, well, he's not going to skip any starts, so he limited to five or six innings early in the season, especially in lopsided games. However, there we were on Sunday. The Mets were up five runs. Matt Harvey had pitched six innings, while sick, apparently. And instead of preserving him and bringing in someone like, oh, I don't know, Eric Goodell, who's pitched one inning this season, I believe it's one and a third, he went back to Matt Harvey. Sure enough, he started letting up hard contact, overthrowing. Blevins had to come in, and bam, five-run lead is cut to two, and we're down one Jerry Blevins. R.I.P. All this could have been avoided if Terry just stuck to the script. This doesn't happen when you have a lousy, lame-duck manager managing for his job. My overreacting fan, Mike. You're talking about 2015, probably manager of the year, Terry Collins here, Michael. Because <laughs> that's the thing that happens when you overperform expectations. But it, it is a little weird to me because he batted in that bottom of the six, and they could have pinch hit for him. I think he came up with two outs and nobody on and got a single or whatever. But it did seem like a spot, and he had been very efficient. I think he threw about 60, 70 pitches through uh, – yeah, he really had been cruising. Up and he didn't get a ton of hard contact in that inning, really. There was a couple of leaders to the infield, a little bloop. You know, it happens. I mean, would I, would I have considered pulling him there? Sure, why not? You know, the you have Blevins and Familia back. You haven't used Goodell. It's 7-1 to one after 6 is a pretty... You're talking about low-leverage innings, ideally. Um... You know, I don't know. It's it's something worth monitoring. Certainly. I think maybe he wanted to get him to that sort of like 90-95 pitch limited again to keep him a little bit stretched out, which is fine, but you know, I don't I can't. The team's 10 and 3. I can't kill Terry Collins. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just can't do it now. There'll be time later in the season. As as a fantasy baseball owner that traded Josh Donaldson for Harvey and Familia last week, I'm not complaining about his use of either guy. Wait, you traded for Harvey? Yeah, I traded for Harvey and Familia, and I gave up Donaldson. And I think just Familia alone, I won the saves category. Yeah, you're going to get saves, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you need the saves. So, ride them, ride them, ride them. You know, the between the offense and the low-scoring run environment, there's going to be a lot of save opportunities, and God knows Terry Collins will run him out there 70 times. So, <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and I never bought this Collins on the hot seat thing. Uh, I know it's been floated around that he's managing for his job, but it's not like he's coming off a bad season. He won 79 games last year with a team that wasn't great. Well, it's, it's it said he's coming into an option year on the contract is all it is. Uh, okay, because... It'd be one thing if they were really disappointing last year, if this team was supposed to make the playoffs last year, and now he's coming to this year where it's like, oh, the pressure's on. But I mean, at this point, he's one of the longer-tenured managers in baseball because baseball is just like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Another thing also to consider with Harvey is that it's also not like he's exactly a year 
you know, after Tommy John. He's 18 months, give or take. So, you know, he might not be as fragile as you would expect a guy returning from Tommy John to be. Yeah. I I don't really mind, you know, stretching him a little, seeing where exactly he, you know, he is, you know, with his endurance at this point right now. Yeah, they dumped, they know they dumped three singles off him. He got nabbed or whatever. You know, it's not, it happened. I wouldn't, I'm not going to worry about it yet. Our next email is from Austin, Dear Jeff and Co. First time, long time. The constant complaining by Mets fans about lineup construction is irritating. In my opinion, there is far too much attention paid to defined slash traditional roles in the lineup. The goal of a hitter wherever he is in the lineup is not to make an out. If a cleanup hitter hits a single rate, if a leadoff hitter hits a home run, who is complaining? The idea that, that Curtis Granderson can't bat leadoff because the Mets signed him to hit cleanup is silly. They signed him to not make outs and to be a productive hitter no matter where he's put in the lineup. He hits in the second spot. He shouldn't be trying to pepper balls around and move people over. If he's any cleanup, he shouldn't be swinging for the fences. He has to be Curtis Granderson whenever he comes up. He needs to play his game and utilize his skill set to be productive at any spot. If Juan Lagares is hitting cleanup, that doesn't mean he has to try to hit home runs. Juan Lagares always tries to hit home runs, I feel like. <laughs> he's trying to drive the ball in every at-bat wherever he hits. He sure is. His skill set is not changed by what spot he bats. Collins said, fairly traditional lineups during his tenure as Mets manager. And a poor offensive results. Why not experiment? The only way to know how to maximize, optimize productivity for this group, to tinker and experiment and find what works best for this team. I don't see why the order of some other team lined up years ago should be the blueprint for a completely different 25-man roster. Yes, there's been a lot of research done with large sample sizes of data that suggests strategic skill set placements can yield more substantial results long-term. Without a prototypical leadoff hitter, even the fact that several of our hitters have similar offensive potential, much of order seems cosmetic to me. I'm the first one to look to something, <laughs> look for something to rail against Collins for. But trying to figure out how to score the most runs isn't something to ride over. This is your show every week. Sorry I couldn't make it to the live show last week. The first year was fun. Long live David Wright, Austin in Brooklyn. Oh, lineup construction. <laughs> so you can. There used to be a. I don't remember if it was if Tango's Tom Tango site had it. There used to be a, a link to like you could just like put in your player, all the players triple flash that would like optimize your lineup for you. But the difference is that over 162 games is still like, you know, 10 to 15 runs or one win. It just doesn't matter. It's something to bitch about on Twitter because it's 4pm and there's been no Mets news all day. Which granted has not been an issue the last few days certainly. Um, I mean, there's things you can do. You should probably put all your best hitters sort of clustered together, which the Mets have been doing for the most part. You know, whoever is... Whoever <laughs> mysterious person, Terry Collins, Bob Guerin, Sandy Alderson, or otherwise, that is putting these lineups together. There hasn't been a ton to complain about other than, you know, Eric Campbell batting cleanup on Sunday, which was, like, the most Terry Collins move possible, I feel like. The hot hand... But again, in a you know in a one game sample size, it's just not meaningful. In a 162 game sample size, batting Eric Campbell cleanup every day is going to cost you what a half a win. I can't it get excited you about that. Your self respect. Okay, fine. And you sort of get into the, sort of the <laughs> stuff I railed about last week, where it's like it's not about Eric Campbell batting cleanup; it's about bad decision making in general, which can hurt you in other ways. But no, Curtis Granderson batting leadoff is fine. Whoever they're gonna bat second now, it doesn't. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I'm it's not a, a big cursed lie. spot at this point. I mean, just put Daniel Murphy there, whatever. 
second baseman has to bat second. Sure. Um, That's right. Jerry um, Ball. <laughs> I'm not a big lineup construction person, like you said, in the long run. We like there have been uh, studies or, or whatnot done shows it's not incredibly significant. Uh, my friend was asking me about two hours before Daniel, or before Travis Darno got hurt. He said, hey, if Darno keeps hitting, would you bat him second even when David Wright comes back? And I said, sure. Just the only thing I want Terry Collins to do is bat the good players near the front of the lineup and bat the bad players in the back of the lineup. And other than that, I don't really care what happens. And that goes back to... John John Mayberry Jr. batting third. No, he's not your prototypical three-hitter, but if there's a soft-tossing lefty on the mound, and if you look at his splits, then it makes sense to bat him near the top of the order because he's going to do what he does against lefties, and he hit a home run in that game. So, uh, yeah, just get those good hitters at the top. Curtis Granderson has been taking a lot of walks, so he's been a good leadoff hitter for them so far, and... Uh, it just as, as the don't fall in the trap of putting the slap hitting guy second when he should be batting eighth, which is what they've avoided. That's why they've moved David Wright up in the lineup. They kind of bumped everyone up just so they have a bunch of good players hitting at the top of the order, not separated by a lot of teams put a not so good player second for some reason. I'm trying to think of a lineup right now. Well, Atlanta's. Before they traded for Maven, they were betting Eric Young first just because he was fast. That's probably not a good idea. So they haven't fallen to that trap. They I think the Reds were batting like Zach Cozart second forever. Mm. Yeah, that was that's the big yeah it's the big uh, example of that. Yeah, it just was, that was like Dusty Baker in a yeah Dusty in a Baker's top two hitters have like a two fifty on base percentage. <laughs> dusty being Dusty. Zach Cozart could get the runner over if need be, probably. He would just hit slow grounders to the right side. Yes. <laughs> it's the biggest indictment sort of there of Dusty Baker. He hasn't got another job yet. It's a little surprising, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess people still liked him. He definitely had a good reputation. He was probably... He had to be one of the... Older man. Yeah, I guess that's true. Lost that job. Now Collins is one of the oldest, right? He is the oldest. Mm-hmm. He's the oldest. Yeah, he's been for a while. That's wild. Our next email, our next and final email, is from Rob. Dear Paragons of Prospectum, please fill in the following blanks. Champ Stewart. We got another Champ Stewart question. Is off to a nice start. At the end of the season, for him to be a consensus top 100 prospect, he must blank. Um, <laughs> be better than he is. He has a blank percent chance of doing so. I mean, he is what he is. He must blank. He must rake in double A. Must maintain his 500 plus BAPIP. Yes, in in double A, yes. Look, I like Champ Stewart. I really do. He's a fun guy to watch. I don't think he'll be a top 15 prospect in this system at the end of the year. Number two. Wilmer Sarah has a blank percent chance of being a peak three-war player in the big leagues and a blank percent chance of being a peak four-war player in the big leagues. Look, there were... Uh, I have to look this up now. This is something I should have had at my... 
disposal. But I didn't think about it when I was reading this question initially. It's a lot harder to be a three-war player than you would think. Yes, that's that's the short version. Mm. There were... Forty-three four-war players last year. You want to know who was exactly worth four war last year? It was uh, I'm just I pulled up Fangraphs so it's easier to sort that way. And for hitters, I don't really care. Uh, Denard Span, Ian Desmond, Matt Carpenter, and Justin Upton. All of whom, well, Upton was the best hitter of the bunch. Uh, Desmond had the most defensive value. Which is kind of uh, amusing right now, actually. <laughs> Carpenter, probably the most balanced of the four. But you know, those are all borderline all-star players. I think all four of them have made all-star games. You're right ahead of them. You have Freddie Freeman, Chase Headley, Dustin Pedroia, and Victor Martinez. Um, you know, Becerra, uh, Becerra would probably have to fit more into the Justin Upton mold. If you want to look at a player, um, you know, sort of the right field profile or corner outfield profile. You know, Upton was a, a 30 and 100 player last year. 29 homers, 102 RBIs. Struck out a lot. Above average walk rate. 270 hitter. That's like Becerra's ceiling. So what do you want to put on ceiling? 5%? 10%? And again, I like Omer Becerra a lot. Even going down to three wins, you're still only talking about 70 players at this point. There's not a good corner outfielder. You want a Suspedes. Average K rate, low walk rate, 22 and 100. Slightly above league average hitter. All right, now we're. I see the similarities between them. I could, yeah, we're getting more in in the range here. So now we're talking about maybe a seventy fifth percentile outcome. I mean, if you want a quick, I'm gonna keep going down from last year. I hate cops. Um, we go a bit lower. We get into like Marlon Bird with the Phillies last year. Sort of an all-or-nothing slugger, didn't walk. Was a decent right fielder, but nothing special. Close to league average hitter. We're still probably above the median here. I mean, like, the 50th percentile outcome for Wilmer Becerra is, like, quad A player. So, probably, like, 65th percentile now. And that was a guy that was worth a little over two wins by a fan who for. And I like Wilmer Becerra a lot. I think Wilmer Becerra finishes the year as a top 15 prospect. I think I have a top 15 this year, too. But maybe even top 10. But those guys just don't exist. Same question for Vicente Lupo. Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not happening. Four between twenty-four year old. Uh, this is see. I can't. I feel like Rob wrote the thing that I couldn't read because it was libelous. This. Well, I mean. Uh, okay. Do you need me to do it? No, I can read it. I I think right. I can read it because it's not. There's nothing. <laughs> there's an implication, as uh, yeah. as 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 Dennis from It's Always Sunny would say, but that's fine. 
Between 24-year-old Matt Harvey, 24-year-old David Wright, and 24-year-old Jeff Wilpon, blank got laid the most. Giant pillowcases with anime babes on them don't count. I mean, it's Matt Harvey, right? It's just, it's Matt Harvey. Personally, I think it's inconclusive because he doesn't give us a sample size, so... <laughs> uh, I mean, I, so money papers over a lot of things from what I understand, but... Well, let's just, just move like on. Let's move on. Also, why was Who Let the Dogs Out, the theme song to the 2000 Mets playoff run? I still have half a Manhattan here. I poured a very large Manhattan, though. That the Mets would choose a one-hit wonder like the Baja men to be played, as opposed to taking care of business, to be played after their home playoff wins <laughs> that year, presaged the fallow or how years to come, in my estimation. Yours in the fight, Rob. Uh, Steve, you did some research on this, I understand. Yeah, it wasn't really as as in depth as last last time with the uh, little D's. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, basically, the song became popular in the summer of two thousand when the Baja Men made their their version of it, and A Rod is actually one of the first players that kind of got in the baseball consciousness because he used it up as his uh, walk up song. That seemed like a very A Rod. Yeah, thing to do. of any of anybody, A Rod would do that. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, this, the Mets version of it was written by David Brody, who is a producer from the Elvis Duran and Z Morning Zoo show on Z100. Uh, he does a lot of like song parodies, commercial parodies, things like that. And uh, uh, basically, the Baja Men were in the studio, and he by hook or crook or however, he got them to record who let the Mets out instead of, you know, having parody singers do it. Yeah. And I guess he had creative control of the song or whatever you want to call it, and he gave it the Mets permission to use it. And, uh, you know, since when do the Will Punch resist three things? So, so I'm, I'm looking at 2000 go. in music right now on Wikipedia. Holy crap, this was a terrible year for music. I can imagine. So here's a list of just Billboard uh, number one hits. Hot 100 number one singles of 2000. All right, here we Baja go. Baja Men, not there. So it started off early 2000, smooth, Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Good song. What a Girl Wants by Christina Aguilera. Yeah. I Knew I Loved You by Savage Garden. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank God I Found You, Mariah Carey featuring Joe and 98 Degrees. <laughs> wow. Amazed by Lone Star, which I have no memory of. Oh, is that the one where it's, baby, I'm amazed by you? I have no idea. I had said I have no memory of this. Mm. Uh, Say My Name by Destiny's Child. So you just blocked it out and that my vocal tones could... Yeah, yeah. Maria Maria, Santana featuring the product G&B. That's a good song. Try Again by Aaliyah. Be With no, I... You by Enrique Iglesias. Everything You Want by Vertical Horizon. Bent by Matchbox 20. It's Gonna Be Me by NSYNC. Yes. <laughs> Incomplete by Cisco. <laughs> Cisco. Doesn't, really, doesn't really matter by Janet. Just a song called Music by Madonna, which I don't remember at all either. Nope. Come On Over Baby by Christine Aguilera. For One Week with Arms Wide Open by Creed. Creed. And we finished here with Independent Women by Destiny's Child. Well, it was the ninety. It was, it was the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, there were. Dark Ages. It was not good. <laughs> the best-selling albums that year were the Marshall Mathers LP by Eminem, 
Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears, Breathe by Faith Hill, No Strings Attached by NSYNC, and Supernatural by Santana. That's a good cross-section of America. I have to look at the top 20 selling albums of the year. Jesus. I mean, was 2001 good? I, I know I owned it on CD my senior year of high school. But is that a good album? I have no idea. Uh, who, who, uh, who? Dr. Dre, The Chronic 2001. Um, recalling? Uh, forgot about Dre. Yeah, I just, I don't... But I'm not recalling anything on it. That NSYNC album sold 10 million copies. I don't know, 2000 was a terrible year for music. In the Mets' defense, no one knew that Who Let the Dogs Out was going to be a one-hit wonder. I mean, we thought Well. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Next Village people. And I just, and as a, as a interesting side note, I guess, the, the same guy who wrote this song also wrote the, uh, the other Met song that became viral a couple of years ago that Snooki sang. So Wait, he's, what? he's responsible for unleashing two poxes on us. <laughs> Not just this. I'm just scanning through 2000 albums now to find an album I actually liked. Let's see. Well, I like it, and then nothing turned itself out inside out by Yola Tango. That's a good album. They're a good Mets fan. They're a good Mets fan. As reported on this podcast at some point. Because I thought they were a Phillies fan, and I got yelled at. Um, I have... I played one of the Cat Power coverage record songs at my wedding, so I guess that's probably good. I feel like I've had fights with people in college over the uh, relative merits of We Have the Facts and We're Voting Yes by Death Cab for Cutie. It's the thing you do when you go to an extreme liberal arts college. Hmm. I own Veni Vidi Vicious by The Hives. I don't think I've listened to it since 2000. <laughs> Probably better off. No. Oh. I don't remember that Slater Kinney album. All Hands on the Bad One. I imagine I must have listened to it at some point, but I just have no uh, no memory of it. This is fascinating radio, I'm sure. Everyone loves nostalgia. Nostalgia is great. Everyone, everyone's totally digging this. This is like the worst Bone Sebastian album came out that year. That's how you know it was a a bad music year. This is, these are all like like kind of hipstery things I listened to in college that are kind of terrible. In hindsight, I was graduating in junior high school. Oh, Left and Lean by The Weaker Lands, I think, is a legitimately good album. They're Canadian. I think I'm only up to April. A lot of albums came out in uh, in 2000. It's an entire year's worth of music. There's a Nate Dogg album. Not featuring Nate Dogg, an actual Nate Dogg album. 
I've actually gotten further than I thought. I'm actually to October. Oh, Kid A came out. I actually remember that now because I was in college and I had a very good friend of mine became completely and utterly obsessed with that album. Smash Mouth came out in 2000. There was a Smash Mouth album I went by. I didn't really pay much attention to it. That was, I think, their only album. (laughs) I mean, they probably put out more albums. If no one listens as a count, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, Stankonia came out that year. Okay. That redeems the year to a certain extent. I don't know if this Wikipedia list is actually, like, complete. Or not. Oh, Master Romantic, also an excellent, excellent album by the New Pornographers. Their, uh, their debut album. That's it. That's all I got. So it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was bad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I just listed, like, the good ones I found. There was a lot of bad there. So I guess those are your emails. I don't know how that we ended up going down that road of terrible music from my senior year of high school, first uh, semester of college. But it's all there. Once again, you email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And of course, there is only one more order of business. That is your IFK Gothenburg update. We're back on the winning track. A last-minute goal in the Gothenburg Derby against BK Hocken. Put uh, IFK at least briefly at the top of the table in the Alstonskin Liga. So that's good news. Sure is. Awesome. Sheffield Wednesday also scored a late penalty to uh, put a bit of a damper on AFC uh, Bournemouth's Premier League dreams Saturday morning. I was at a bowling tournament, so I couldn't go down to Football Factory to watch it. It ended up making TV. But because it was on BN Sports uh, streaming service, it, of course, froze at 85 minutes, so no one actually got to see the uh, <laughs> the tying goal. Which is something that happens because BN Sports is a terrible sports network. But Wednesday they have a they have the Yorkshire Derby this weekend with Leeds, and they finish up uh, their championship season against Watford a week from Saturday. And Watford is one of the teams uh, vying for an automatic promotion spot, so hopefully they'll make TV again for a game I can't see because I have to go to my cousin's uh, first birthday party. I'm sure that'll be thrilling. That'll be, oh, yeah. Oh, that's going to be awesome. It'll be awesome, yeah. Um, I could be drunk by 7.30 <laughs> in the morning instead. I may be drunk at 7.30 anyway. Yeah, I'll save the Manhattan. Uh, so that's about it. That's have a day off. Here's why we recorded today. Because they had uh, first year with Atlanta tomorrow. Nice, G, and Cologne are your scheduled starters. They may be good. It's possible. They may be not. Well, they'll be better than the 2000s music scene. Yeah, apparently. Oh, yeah. There's like a Casey and JoJo album that I didn't even mention. And not like the first, the good, the good? I don't know if it was good. The Casey and JoJo album that had like hits on it. 
It was not that one. Yep, the Mets get to see Trevor Cahill this time around. That'd be nice, because he looks kind of like he's, uh, he might be done. More Eric Stoltz, I'll take that, too. Yeah. And the other guys are decent. Shelby Miller's pitching really well. Yeah, Tehran's good. But I don't know. I got, this is another thing I could just look up if I were so inclined. I'll look up Nye Mets, which is my favorite baseball squadron. <laughs> a lot of like different buttons to uh let's see so no that's just that doesn't help me none of this helps me i should just look something on my phone oh wednesday they're no it's not wednesday friday they're on picks not that it really matters when they're on picks i can watch them on my big screen tv Otherwise, I have to watch them on my laptop. These are things that are... Uh, That's a major factor right there. It is. I, I got the Bat app up on my phone. So I can... Uh, okay. So Cahill is actually starting uh, the Tuesday night game. Yes. You get Cahill, Stoltz, and Tehran. There we go. That's what we need. Two out of three. That's not bad. And Tehran's got to go against uh, Bartolo Colon. So, good luck to him. Yeah, good luck to him, really. One uh, more RPI and three straight starts. Yes, that would be uh, probably, not a, that probably be not a record for anyone other than Bartolo Colon. <laughs> All right, that's enough. We're done. Okay. That's it. It's over. Oh, wait, I have a funny story. I linked to it in the morning news, but I was a, it was an article written about the... Uh, how the National League should adopt the DH, blah, blah, blah. It says, it's like, well, there, there's really no reason to go against the DH unless you're a old school traditionalist or you're a fan of Bartolo Colon. And he goes on to say how, you know, we all, you know, traditions always change and we need to embrace new things, blah, blah, blah. Never embrace, never, uh, Never, do, never brought up why uh, why it was bad to, to watch Bartolo Colon hit the ball. He didn't have a counter. It isn't. There's no there's no counter argument there. There was no counter argument. <laughs> I'm still I'm still waiting. It's for like that. it's full like, like James Carville in old school. I have no rebuttal. There's no rebuttal to Bartolo Colon at the plate. Exactly. It speaks for itself. Uh, he just proved the uh, argument for the DH by not addressing that. Yeah. All right. That's all I needed to say. That's good. So this is episode 114 of Mason Avenue Audio. Are the Mets good? I don't know. We'll have more information next week.